Welcome back to another episode of the USL show. Um, listen, we have a packed one. We have a lot of stuff going on. The USL decided to be somewhat normal with a few weird results. Um, but, you know, that's not why we're here tonight. We are here for uh, for a little bit of a conversation with an important person with some topical stuff going on. But if you can't read the title, I won't spoil it for you. Um, first off, Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing well, Kayler. How are you today? Hey, I'm a little bit under the weather, but hey, we're surviving. Everything's going great uh, other than that. John, how you doing? Good. Yeah, getting Labor Day off was a delight for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited for the Open Cup final tomorrow, so feeling good overall. Um, for people who are wa- who are listening to this live, and maybe the podcast if it's out by then, but hey, we do have a special USL tactics coming out tomorrow, so that's exciting. Um, that's a good one. So check out the the Twitter sphere for that. Um, super stoked to see that one. Um, but look, we need to go ahead and start burning through a lot of this stuff. We need to talk about the week that was. Um, Ryan, what are some shocks and, uh, you're told you so's man. I guess I, uh, pick a quick told you so on a uh, Phoenix getting a two to one win over RGV midweek. But, um, like a few of the games that actually stuck out to me was just Tampa Bay, just going quickly past the Las Vegas lights. You clinch a playoff spot finally, as they get a six to one win at home. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, John's uh, John's tactics show today broke down, you know, everything that was on that win. So I'm going to let him talk a bit about that, uh, about his tactics show. But man, I I knew that I knew that Tampa Bay was going to win. But golly, <laughs> I think well, just to speak to Vegas for a minute, it's really underrated how. They've been such a counterattacking side that has built through Trejo and Jennings. And when you lose the Trejo aspect of that, they don't have the anchor to break through. And that showed against Tampa Bay. They were so clinical working through Wyken Antley down the right, getting that rotation from the forwards. It was a brilliant performance. I would ask, like, go watch what I was uh, talking about on the tactics show about breaking down what they do offensively because they put on the clinic against this Las Vegas team. The one thing that shocked me about the way that they attacked was, I mean, we've talked about it before on the show is that, you know, Las Vegas really likes to sit in deep. They want to absorb pressure and counterattack. And I know without Danny Trejo, it's hard to counterattack as effectively because anybody would struggle without Danny Trejo. But even then as compact as they make their back line, it's impressive how easily Tampa Bay was able to break it down. We talked about it last week. It's hard to break down a defense that wants to sit back. Jose Mourinho has made an entire career on it. I mean, be, being able to break down a defense like that was beyond impressive. How about, um? do you have a, 
you already had your told you so in shock, right, Ryan? Oh, well, you look like you had about something to say. Yeah, I mean, I was just uh, mentioning, like, if you piece through some of the stats uh, from this game, you had a, a Tampa Bay team with 23 crosses to uh, just an impressive 28 clearances from Las Vegas out of this one. And it just seems like it was something Tampa Bay was in control for most of the match. And it results to them in a playoff spot and still leaves the door open for uh, the top seven here in the West. No doubt. That, listen, the race, we've talked about it before, the race for spot number seven is going to be absolutely mental in the West, and I'm so excited for it. John, what about some shockers and some told you so's? Uh, I think a game that kind of combined a shock and a told you so was the Louisville-Indianapolis Proximity Association Football Contest. <laughs> where Indy 11 got that 2-1 to win over uh, Lou City. Stefano Pino with the brace. But I know I picked it in our predictions, and that was sort of me just taking the piss and kind of picking like a homer game with the 11 there. But, man, they looked so good defensively. They came out with a really aggressive 4-3-3 shape. Stefano Pino had the brace. I was so pleased to see it. This is a lost season for Indy. But with the players they've brought in with various trades and transfers late on, uh, the manner in which they're instilling that kind of classic Mark Lowry system right now, it's really heartening to see as someone with a little bit of a bias towards Indy. And obviously Louisville didn't get it, the result at the weekend either. They're being a little bit off form, we could say. But that was still massive for what India is trying to do with the broader project that is going to be a couple of years long with Lowry. Yeah, no doubt. And India has quickly kind of started turning into the team that I think a lot of teams fear, um, it, unless you're Detroit, in which I think the only people that should have been in fear was everybody who had to watch because, dear God, that was one of the worst matches I've ever watched in my life. Sorry, Indy and Detroit fans. I has nothing to do with your broadcast team. Has everything to do with that was a crap match. That was brutal. Um, but yeah, I mean, Indy looks like you know just a team that could break anyone down, especially a really, really good uh, loose city team. Obviously. A penalty at the end seals the fate, but it wasn't against the run of play. You know, that was, that was something that looked like it was coming for a while. I mean, who would have uh, given the uh, form that Indies had throughout the uh, just kind of start of the year that here to end the month of August, they beat San Antonio and Louisville in consecutive games at home. I'm not looking forward to Legion playing them. Oh, that one, that's uh, fine. And what's um, interesting with uh, Louisville, this is the uh, second time this year they've had two consecutive or two instances of losing two games in a row. Uh, even last year, they had uh, three different instances when they lost two in a row as well. So it's a very kind of just traditional that they get into a rut and it's like tough to get out of for the following game after they lose. Which is surprising considering their roster size. You would feel like they'd be able to rotate the bad, but apparently – not i don't know it's very bizarre for them to have one of the biggest rosters in the usl they still seem to be picking the same team all the time without not a lot of loanies out anymore because they've recalled almost all of them it's it's a bit bizarre to me 
But for me, I have my told you so has to be picking Monterey Bay versus uh, San Diego. I've it just felt like the back line of Monterey Bay could really shut down that loyal uh, attack. Loyal are obviously a brilliant attacking team, but the way Monterey Bay can just like we said before be very organized at the back it's really easy to get under you know the skin of like Kyle Vassell for example you can tell you know whenever he's playing that he gets frustrated and you can tell that with other strikers for San Diego as well that they get frustrated when they can't just score at will and that's what Monterey Bay does to everybody you know pretty much is not letting them score at will and that was, I kind of circled that one as this one seems like the match that maybe San Diego becomes looking ahead to this upcoming match that we'll talk about later. And, you know, maybe they don't give Monterey Bay the full, full respect that they deserve. But, you know. Yeah, no, just a real quickly comment yeah. on that. I think it was a really bright game from uh, Sam Gleedle on the right wing. He is just so effective uh, with what he does with his pace. I think John Murphy was really assertive in the middle as well. It was one of the brightest offensive performances we've seen from Monterey all week long. And it's surprising in that sense against the San Diego team that's really looked good on defense recently. Yeah, and I think a lot of people might point to the red card, um, but even then they were down to one by that point. Um, I do have to shout out um, my personal favorite, Nick Moon, uh, for scoring. Thank, go off, King. Do your thing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for me, the big shocker um, of the weekend was seeing Orange County take it to Memphis and to help us talk about that and a couple other things along the way, of course, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss even though we talked about it. Um, <laughs> we got Dan Rutstein uh, joining us today, who is the president of Orange County Soccer Club. Who we're going to be talking about this match, obviously, what it meant for Orange County, and also some other things that might be happening over in that world. <laughs> Dan, how you doing, man? Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So um, just to make sure we got this right, apparently you go by the name uh, English Dan occasionally. So apparently I've recently discovered that our, our most fervent fans have decided to call me English Dan, which is fine. Um, of all the nicknames I've had in my time, English Dan seems one of the more Benign names, and it does distinguish me from any American dance that might be out there as well. <laughs> so, this Orange County versus uh Memphis 901. Memphis comes in, you know, really high rolling. You know, Orange County just always seems to be so close, and then they put together a really good performance. From your point of view, you know, what was kind of the difference here? So, it's obviously been a, a fascinating season for us obviously coming in as defending champions swapping out one top striker who we sold into europe for another one who's leading in the golden boot race but um and i imagine john will be able to do the statistics on this slightly better than i but there are a number of points we have dropped from leading positions um 
it feels like a significant number. Um, and this game felt like the same sort of thing. So we're playing, you know, one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference and away we go. We have a great performance. It was one of uh, probably one of our better performances and we are ahead against a team who on paper and certainly in league position should be better than us. And for 74 and a half minutes, you know, we felt comfortable. And then unfortunately, at the end of the game, um, poor defending, goal was conceded and points were dropped. Um, and not for the first time this season, not for the first time this month. Um, and it is frustrating. Uh, one of the, I guess it's not one of the normal jobs of the president of business relations have, but because I used to be a sports journalist, I do the post-match interviews and I was talking to our coach Richard Chaplow after the game and I just, my opening question was frustrated um, to which he replied, yes, this has happened before. We tell the players, it keeps happening. And that was his comments. So it was a, another frustrating game where we were ahead against a strong team but couldn't finish. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was definitely, it always just feels like like Orange County is just so close. And, you know, we've all talked about it before. You know, what's the difference between this year and last year? Obviously, some key players gone, but there's also some key players back. Um, you know, from your from your perspective, from someone who's higher up top, you know, obviously going from the high of highs of winning it all, maybe against the odds, which somehow I think makes it sweeter, um, to being last in the West. What does that do for guys like in your position? So, I mean, it's interesting. We obviously, as you can tell from my accent and from my nickname, um, I'm I'm English, <laughs> and you know, there is an argument that last year we won the league and all my friends in England said, does that mean you get promoted? And obviously you get nothing for winning the league. You know, we get a great trophy and we get a star on our shirts, um, but that's it. Now, maybe at some point in the USL future, there's, you know, CONCACAF places and so on. But for now, there is nothing but honour. Now, that was frustrating. Frankly, this year, we should be delighted that there's no promotion and relegation because otherwise we could be, if there was, then... This would be a year where we could be going down. So, um, I guess in the in the way US football works, US soccer works, we should be frustrated last year and pleased this year. But it, you know, anyone who watches football knows that the difference between winning and losing is not is not a large amount. Um, and if you look where we were last year, we're not a million miles away from where we were last summer before we went on an incredible run that took us you know, into the playoffs and obviously all the way till the end. And it's how we finish games. There were games where we were a goal behind with a few minutes left and we were winning. There were goals where it was level and we got the win in the last couple of minutes. And this year, it's the other way around. Um, so in terms of overall performances, there's not that much difference. It's just the finishing of games just wasn't the luck that went our way last year. I think we had one player sent off all year. Um, I think statistic wise I can't remember but I don't remember us conceding many penalties apart from seeing the final where the goalkeeper saved it anyway you know this year there's been red cards there's been penalties against us it's uh it's just one of those things in football it's a funny old game and sometimes it just doesn't go your way and I think that's that's what's happened to us this year yeah so you know obviously what's going on on the field is 
you know, maybe not up to the par that even was set last year. Um, but you know, we'll we'll get back to what's going on on the field in a moment. Let's talk about what's going on off the pitch and with the pitch. Ironically, um, listen, it became very loud and very noticeable to everybody around the U.S. soccer world what was going on with the city of Irvine and Orange County and L.A. Galaxy deciding to come in and try to rip you from your home, essentially, even though they said that everything was happening in good faith afterwards after us USL soccer nerds started bullying them on Twitter. Um, <laughs> you know, from your from what's going on with your side, what's truly the battle going on here? Yeah, look, it's a great question. And I think this is the thing. This is the, I'm not saying it overshadows what's happening on the field, but this is, at the moment, this is the real, this is the real match that we're playing, which is, can we remain in what is the city of Irvine's stadium, but is our home? And, you know, it all happened quite quickly. We discovered there was going to be a council meeting in what was five days' time where they were going to discuss an option where there was going to be an exclusive deal with LA Galaxy's next MLS Next Pro team and we would be out. Um, the football community rallied on social media and in real life. You know, best part of 400 people turned up at that council meeting and 40 people stood up and hundreds of people sent in letters and emails and we talked to the the city about how much it all means to us. Um, our fans were extraordinary. Fans of other teams were extraordinary. We made our points. Unfortunately, nothing has happened since. Uh, so the battle continues. We are still trying to get into a position where we can talk to the council about being able to play there next year. Um, obviously, we're getting to the point of the year where you have to start submitting your fixture requests you can start doing all the planning for next year and and it is not over yet and there's still a battle to be fought and there's still a council meeting that we're gonna to have to turn up at again next week and try and make the points again that this is important to us and we want to stay in this stadium because a team with literally los angeles in its title shouldn't be coming to play in orange county uh, and we want to stay in the stadium and let our fans keep making memories hoisting trophies hopefully again maybe not this year but maybe next year um, and that's that's what we need to do. And it's a fight that our fans are engaged in and fans of other clubs, and we appreciate that. But it's uh, very frustrating when non-football matters start deciding what's happening with a football team. Um, it's difficult for us, but we're battling through it, and our fans have been fantastic. Yeah, and um, throughout the process of sort of the revelation of what's going on, you've seen reporting about the fact that LA is basically trying to grab the stadium so they can expand their youth offerings there. And I think the interesting thing is that Orange County has been so exemplary in what they've done from top to bottom, supporting soccer in Orange County. So could you just speak to sort of what the organization is doing in that regard to uh, develop the game in Orange County? Yeah, I think everyone knows that a football team is more than just the 11 players out on the pitch. It's mm. it's about how you work with your community. So we have a stadium, we have fans, they come and watch 
us play, they cheer when we win, and they get upset when we don't win. And that's that's the story of football throughout the world. But that's not all of what football is. So it's it's the girl who kicked the ball from the halfway line during community night uh, into the goal and won $5,000 for Ronald McDonald House. Um, it's the cancer survivor who was our honorary captain um, as part of our, our Soccer for Hope Childhood Cancer Awareness Night last week. Um, it's about the youth camps that we won. It's during the pandemic, our players doing Zoom clinics for kids stuck at home. It's the mini pits that we we help build that our players hold free clinics on. It's all of that. That's that's what football in the community really is. And that's what we're trying to do in that stadium and have been doing in all the time that we're being there. Now, obviously, if we're not there anymore and, and MLS teams, youth or reserve teams start playing there, do they need to build a community in do a Los Angeles based team need to do that community work or do they just want a, a nice playing surface to play on? And I think that's it for us. It's we're much more than just this football team. We're a whole community. Our, our club motto is is community heart, global vision. And it's about, you know, giving young players a chance. We do these camps where coaches fly in from Scotland to work with our coaches to give young players a chance and people can go on trial to Rangers or indeed be sold to Rangers as our goalkeeper was last year. That's all part of this journey that we're trying to take the club on. Um, we, you know, we want our fans to enjoy the family entertainment. But we want to do much more for our community. And it's very frustrating that that opportunity could be taken away from us. Yeah. And not to pivot too hard away from the stadium topic, but you just invoked the Rangers partnership there in Cervantes sale. Um, I wrote a piece today talking about Charleston really getting involved with the youth movement. How do you envision the future of Orange County in regard to uh, involving itself within that USL-wide endeavor to become a real hub for player development within the context of not only American, but global soccer? Yeah, I mean, the USL is in a unique position compared to obviously just in terms of the way players rights are owned and uh, frankly the outlook of the league um you know mls is very much about mls but usl we 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 say to players as part of our recruitment come and play for us you know don't play in a in an mls reserve side don't go to college come and play with us play against men play with men and against men because that's what european teams want they don't want somebody who's just finished college they want somebody uh, and Kobe Henry, obviously, who we sold you know, with a new league transfer record, is a great example of this. He played alongside Michael Orozco. You know, Michael Orozco is a is a serious footballer. He's been there and he's done it. You know, he scored in the Azteca. He played 29 times for his country. He knows all the tricks. He knows which shirt to pull and when to trip over and where to stand and how to deal with the antics of other players. And Kobe's playing alongside him and learns that from him. And now Kobe's, you know, in France and depending on how this season goes, he could be marking Neymar and Messi uh, by the end of the year, and Mbappe. Um, so, you know, this is what we're trying to do as our club, and it's about development. And, you know, it looks like, frankly, we were one of the first to do this, but we are delighted that other teams are doing more of this. And we've got to know uh, Mark Cartwright, the sporting director for USL, very well, and we've talked about this quite a lot with him. And it's, it's good for the league to be this feeder league effectively where people come in 
You get great young players playing alongside more experienced players. And these players can go off and, and make their way into the top leagues in, in Europe and, and, frankly, around the world. And that's great for US soccer. We, if America are going to win the World Cup, which obviously they won't do this year because they won't get out of the group because they've got no chance. <laughs> no, no biases here. The yeah, Iran is going to win the group, right? <laughs> the next World Cup, you know, the more players they have playing around the world, the better their team will be. That's just the nature of, of every team who do well. Brazil aren't winning the World Cup with people playing in the Brazilian domestic leagues. People need to go and get experience from elsewhere. And it's great for American players of all levels. Um, and I think the USL has got a really important role to play as part of that. And we're pleased at Orange County to be part of that journey. And we've got four players who've gone off to play in Europe and there's more to come. You know, I actually do have a quick question about that. Um, when it comes to having the city of Irvine being on your side right getting them to to see the light if you will how much of saying how much talent that you've put into europe goes into the conversation because i mean la galaxy has bought world-class players but what matters more to the city of irvine someone who's played in irvine goes to europe or you bring in somebody to the quote-unquote retirement league i know to us i know what i think but is that something that you would bring up to the council? No, and I not only that, people. just to interject, um, like what you've done with your youth setups within the city of Irvine compared to the non-existence presence of LA Galaxy, I think that really is important context to know. So sorry to interrupt, but yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right, John. And, you know, if somebody were to casually swing by Championship Soccer Stadium, you know, midweek, you would see... Our first team training next to the new reserve team that we've set up, and sometimes the players change together and they get that access to that, that senior team. And we've got these reserve players, and there's some absolutely outstanding young players there. And part of a proper development process for young players, it's not just, you know, how good are they at free kicks? It's about the whole thing. It's how do they conduct themselves in a in a dressing room, in a sorry, in a locker room. Um it's understanding that flow between the reserves and the first team. It's just understanding what it's like. You know, the fines you get when you turn up late or you don't wear your slides when you're going in the shower. All that stuff that's just part of a professional setup. That's what makes a difference. And um, our technical director, Oliver Vies, who's been behind all of this, uh, sort of what we've done on the field, he was over in Europe recently and he was at Stade de Rez and went to see Kobe and talking to their coaches there. And they're really impressed with Kobe's professionalism. Like he knows how to conduct himself in a dressing room. And obviously there's a language barrier there for him, but he's 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 doing well there. And there's plenty of players who've got the skills but can't do the environment part. And for us, we're trying to teach the players part of that as well. And having access to a fantastic soccer-specific stadium, but also all the training fields there, is all part of that journey. It's all part of our player recruitment. It's all part of what we're trying to do. And we want to continue to be able to do that in, in Irvine. Speaking a little bit to the, I guess, uh, kind of wider USL ecosystem, uh, um, as a championship club, we also have the benefit of having kind of USL League One as a quote-unquote feeder league into championship. There's a lot of talent who's made the move from USL One into the USL Championship, and especially with uh, nearby teams in California, such as Central Valley Fuego, uh, Santa Barbara, who's on the way, and even FC Tucson nearby. 
how as a championship club do you see the role of kind of like USO one helping with that development to potentially bring players from uh, League One into a championship team? Yeah, I mean, I think it is all part of the development journey. I mean, you know, we will we've got a great scouting team and a great scouting network, and we've found players from all sorts of different places. And I think I think the League One teams are all part of that journey. And I think you know, in a I think from the league's point of view that and there's a few players who have done this the League One, then Championship, and then moving on from there is almost the perfect story, uh, because some of it's just about resourcing and scouting, and it might not be that. There could be a player in League One who has got raw talent but isn't going to get scouted by a European team and they maybe need to move into the championship team to get access to those resources. But I think that's a, a great system. And as the different levels develop, I think there's there's real opportunity. And obviously, the, the Santa Barbara will be a really interesting proposition. I mean, having the former Liverpool chief executive um, helping with that team, who's been advising Wrexham as well. I think they're well-placed to understand the opportunities in the European transfer market. So before we move, I guess, too far, just wondering, make sure I read this right. You're involved with, is it AFC Wimbledon? Yeah, so my my team back home um, is, is AFC Wimbledon. So when I was younger, it was Wimbledon. Um, and we won the FA Cup. And we played in the old first division and in the beginning years of the Premiership. Unfortunately, four of the five lowest attendances in the history of the Premier League were games involving that team. We were not well supported. We had more people in our stadium to watch us win the Western Conference Championship last year than Wimbledon had when they played Everton in the Premier League in their final year uh, before they got relegated, which is which is something. Um, but we, uh, I've been a fan of that club and we got franchised, which in America obviously happens quite a lot in in actually all of the major sports, but does not happen in football at all. Uh, the team got moved to Milton Keynes. They formed a new team. We started right at the bottom in the 13th level of English football. Um, I'm a shareholder there, as are, as is John Green, the uh, the author from who's an Indy 11 fan and a Liverpool fan. Um, and uh, we, you know, we've built our way up. And I'm not even trying to compare AFC Wimbledon's story with what happened, was happening to Orange County at the moment because you know our club is not being taken away from us. It is just risk around our stadium but in England I've got friends who support Derby County and Blackpool teams where off-field things have drastically affected what's happened to their team on field and so I think I do have what the commercial director at AFC Wimbledon describes as righteous indignation uh what a phrase they used a lot as they real rebuilt that club and and had that incredible sponsorship deal they share with Watford with football manager championship manager and football manager um we feel righteous indignation, um, as do fans of any team who feel like something non-football has happened to their club. So am I, am I safe to say that you're not a big uh, MK Dons fan? <laughs> I'm not. Um, and it's very interesting. So AFC Wimbledon, when they play MK Dons, do go to extraordinary lengths to avoid using the words MK Dons. So when they print the match day program, they refuse to put the name on. They won't put their name up on the scoreboard to the point where the league were fining them for not doing so. So last time we played MK Dons, we didn't print a match day program. Um, so we could avoid, we said the printer was broken and we said the scoreboard was broken. So they didn't turn <laughs> on the scoreboard. So they didn't have to not put the word MK Dons. Now, when we play LA Galaxy 2 on Saturday, there is an argument that we could deploy some of those tactics, but we are not going to do that. 
Um, but yeah, uh, the Wimbledon MK Dons relationship is not a great one uh, for good reason. So I know. So Ryan, you you know a bit about Wimbledon. Yeah, just uh, with their kind of partnership through Football Manager, I recall the uh, kind of move back to uh, Plow Lane this year, which was uh, just really fantastic to uh, to see. And it just seems like it's a very kind of just well-built club and just they're doing things kind of the right way. And especially as you see all these uh, huge clubs across the Premier League of just being these like billionaire owners, you see obviously the, the kind of dislike of ownership groups with uh, Manchester United and a few other teams. But to have that kind of fan ownership just always seems like something that every team would want to have as like a goal to kind of bring and it's something that uh Wimbledon kind of just prides themselves on absolutely I, I think that's right I mean I, I'm not afraid to say I cried when I went back to Pound Lane um when I was back over Christmas my first visit to that stadium in the 31 years that we were sharing stadium with other people and I think when when I had to give a speech as part of our uh trip to the city council the other day just evoking that what it means to be a fan and how important the stadium is to people, where you make your memories and how you engage in, in football. It's extraordinary. And that's why we want to make the fuss we do, because we want our fans who've made memories, who've taken their children to these games, who've taken their parents to these games. We want to keep coming to that stadium and keep making memories. And we want to give them the chance to do that. So kind of talking about bringing them back to the stadium. And I guess even though as someone who lives on the internet and is so involved in the USL world because I have no life, I guess if you want to say that the scoreboard is broken and the printer doesn't work, we'd all support you in that battle. Um, we were here first to say that we were, you know, firsthand opinions. It didn't work. We were there. Um, so if you want to deploy that, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> but um, I gotta just ask recently, we all saw this big data dump that happened, right? Where all this text messages got released, um, saying that, you know, Los Angeles had been in contact with the city of Irvine. Um, was that stuff that you guys had access? Did you guys know about that before it was released or did you find out just like the rest of us? So we have suspected that, as part of what all that's gone on, it's not everything isn't as it seemed. You know, when when it was on the council agenda, having not seen anything like this, we suspected some discussions have been taking place. See, it was pulled from the council agenda the day before as well. So something was going on. Obviously, somebody, a journalist, put in a Freedom Information Act request, and um, obviously the documents are there to be read and we've read them and it sounds like you've read them and other people are reading them and other journalists are reading them. You know, it, look, I don't want to get involved in council or LA galaxy business, but the documents are there to be read. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm not sure how much I care about what took place in discussions between April and July and text messages and who helped who draft agenda items the thing we care about is can we play in that stadium next year um, and that's what we're we're fighting for and yeah, I have, just having talked to yeah. oh go ahead go ahead killer i was just gonna have a quick follow-up um and then yeah. john go ahead and you can choose not to answer this it's totally fine but i'm just thinking about my own personal how i think about it how could you get back to i guess fully 
trusting the city of Irvine after something like that? Is that one of those things where if the relationship continues, it's like, hey, this has been, you know, shattered a bit, or is it just move on business as usual? Because unfortunately, in this business, it's a business. Uh, well, look, Kayla, that's an excellent question. As a former journalist and podcast host myself, I would be proud to ask somebody a question like that. And I think the answer is, you know, it is not straightforward. But at the end of the day, everyone wants to get on and do their jobs. I went in this week and had a meeting with the staff that we work with um, at the city of Irvine to talk through fixtures for next year and talk through some issues. Our broadcast went down the other day and we had to sort out some stuff to do with power. Just the sorts of interactions that the president of business relations would have with their owners of their stadium if they don't own it themselves. And it was cordial and it was friendly and it was all fine, and we solved the problems we needed to find and exchanged the documents we needed to exchange, and that was fine. Now, there was a, an elephant in the room, um, and obviously it's all that is in these documents and it's going on at council level, but the, the staff at the stadium who we work with every day are as easy to work with as they ever have been, um, and so we're all just going to get on with our jobs and not worry about that other stuff as we try and interact in all the small ways we have to um, and then we'll worry about what the future looks like when we've seen a new memorandum of understanding or a new contract or whatever it is that we're going to get that allows us to continue playing in that stadium and we'll move on from what we may have read on the internet and get on with going about the business of playing football in a great stadium giving our fans the chance to make memories and score, watch us scoring goals and maybe lift another trophy probably next year. Yeah, and just having, I mean, spoken with Chad a little bit, the PR man at OC, uh, other officials at the club, I can say that the awareness of the situation is as high as it could possibly be. And I trust that you all are going to manage this as well as possible. But uh, I did just want to bring in a couple of the questions from the chat at this point. Uh, first of all, from Andy, who obviously does a great job with the Orange and Black Soccer cast. Is there a timetable for OC maybe expanding into the women's game, whether that be a W League or the Super League? Great question. And the answer is, uh, notwithstanding the fact that part of the LA Galaxy request for exclusivity was no men's or women's teams for the next three years. That aside, um, <laughs> yes, um, you know, a women's team is definitely part of our future. We've had discussions for a long time now with variety of groups about the best way of making that happen. There's nothing concrete at the moment. Um, and obviously, resource-wise, we are slightly distracted by what we're trying to do to, for the men's team um, for the next season. But the principle of having a women's team, absolutely. Who wouldn't in this country want to have a women's team as part of your organisation? We've we successfully put a girls' team into the Florida Cup last year and they won and uh, our top player, Grace, was the top goal scorer and the MVP. Um, we want to have a pathway for female players as well. So we're very keen to build all that. There's just no concrete information at the moment. Gotcha. And then one more question from the chat in terms of, um, obviously, the stadium or situation would equally affect Cal United strikers. Have you had conversations with them in terms of what's going on with uh, championship soccer stadium? 
Yeah, when all this first came out ahead of the council meeting, we spoke to the other teams who would be similarly affected and took their view. And obviously, they share frustration and anger and surprise at, at all that's taking place. Um, so I think, you know, as we move through this process ahead of the next council meeting, I think it is about a whole community effort here. So it's it's about what we as a club do. It's about the non-profits we work with. At the council meeting, speaking on our behalf, we had our team sponsors. We had AYSO partners. There's a lot more to this than, as we said before, just the football team. And so we're talking to all partners who would be affected by this about what we can do to try and stay in that stadium. So you've mentioned it earlier, and I figured this is a great time to bring it up. You are, you know, you do have your own podcast as well, um, which I've been looking forward to this part of the conversation for a while now. I'm not going to lie. What is your podcast for people who maybe haven't heard of it? And, you know, I don't think they're going to, most of them will expect it. <laughs> so slightly oddly, I actually have three podcasts. Um, okay. So I'm, I guess in, I'm not sure, in, re in reverse order of when I created them, I have a football podcast called America the Beautiful Game, um, uh, which is about the transatlantic football relationship. I have a Hollywood podcast called Screaming into the Hollywood Abyss, where we talk to uh, show creators about how difficult it is to get TV shows made. And we actually had uh, Bill Lawrence, the exec producer of Ted Lasso, on talking about the sure. fact that nobody wanted to make it until Apple finally said yes. And then wow. um, my favourite of them, uh, because it was my first one, is United States of Dramerica, where mm. I interview people over a glass of whiskey. And I think I'm 92 episodes in. In fact, I only work for this for Orange County Soccer Club because of that podcast. So I... Uh, I, a friend of mine knew the owner of Orange County and knew he liked whiskey, so I invited him onto the podcast. Uh, <laughs> and about a month before, I was made redundant from my job running a technology company because, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, the trade shows we provided technology for all stopped. And we had a whiskey and we had a chat, and one thing led to another. And by the end of the evening, I've been hired as a consultant to work on the Rangers part of our relationship. And then a year and a half later, I'm now president of the club. So. Um, there's a lot in life I'm grateful to whiskey for, and that's one thing in particular. <laughs> Man, so when you are just having a go, you know, whenever you just want to pull out your favorite bottle, what are you reaching for? So I think my my favorite probably home whiskey is I've bottle of Balvenie 21 that uh, I pull out on after a hard day, the sort of day when you find out that your team might be evicted from their stadium, you open a glass of Balvenie 21 and you talk on the phone to the rest of the leadership team who all enjoy whiskey about all the things that are going on. But that's probably the that's probably the whiskey that I enjoy. Once we've secured the stadium for next year, I'll probably go out and buy myself a bottle of Balvenie 30 to celebrate with. Are we going to get a, a, a Screw LA Galaxy whiskey podcast anytime soon? Because, <laughs> listen. <laughs> oh, and it, look, it's, actually, it's worth saying this. Obviously, I know you're at some point in the show, you're going to start previewing the weekend's games. And we are indeed playing LA Galaxy too. Um, and there'll be a message from the club nearer the time of the fixture. But 
We have no animus against the players and the technical staff of LA Galaxy 2, uh, nor do we have any any issue with the fans of LA Galaxy. Um, in fact, obviously the game's nearly sold out, so there's not many more tickets we can offer them, but we would love LA Galaxy fans to come to the game, not least because they can't watch LA Galaxy 2 play in the normal run of things <laughs> in the stadium. Um, but they would be more than welcome to come to our games. And a number, one of the people who spoke at the council meeting, who is, is one of our sponsors, he's a season ticket holder at Galaxy and at Orange County. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. So the Galaxy fans, like the rest of the football community, have been extraordinary in terms of how they have supported the club um, on social media and so on. And so, you know, they are very welcome. You know, our our battle is with the corporate side of LA Galaxy, not say, and we will be asking our fans to treat our opposition with respect. I mean, you know, we scored five goals against them the other day. We very much hope to do so again. Um, But, you know, we are not, we are not encouraging booing. We want them to be treated well because we're, and we want the fans to be treated well because we're a community team and we welcome all comers to our stadium. But yeah, we are playing them and it is, uh, there's an irony to it. You know, speaking like a true uh, former journalist and I guess podcast host, you gave us a perfect segue to talk about Los Dos versus uh, Orange County uh, Soccer Club. Um, we'll start off with you, Dan. Who you got? It's a good question. I think based on how our season's going, you know, there's not many games left and we're not as close to the playoffs as we would like. Um, but in the next five days, we're playing Monterey Bay uh, and then we're playing LA Galaxy. And I fancy us to win both of those games. Um, and then the playoff picture will look very different. All we need to do is play like we have done for the first 60 or 70 minutes of many of our games this year. Um, and then I think we've got a chance. And, you know, we've always had a fun relationship with LA Galaxy on the field. Um, you know, we needed a result to secure a playoff game there last year when we played in the, in the empty stadium there. Um, and we got it. Um, and we knocked in five the other day playing at the same empty stadium. And, you know, I'm not sure we'll score five goals again on Saturday, but we'll certainly... The the video that was created on the night we all went to the council meeting was played to our players at the request of our coach before we went out and beat Phoenix 2-1 uh, a few weeks back. And I think with all that's going on, you know, the players don't get involved in the politics of this, but they'll know what this game means. We're expecting the probably the largest crowd in the club's history this Saturday. It's all but sold out now. I think there's just a few tickets left if you want to come to our beer fest, um, which will obviously help fuel the atmosphere. But it will be a full stadium. <laughs> and I think, you know, the players will respond. And um, I think it will be a, a victory for us would be my would be my prediction. Beautiful. And you've already touched on it a little bit. That's another one of our predictions. So I'm going to jump over to Ryan real quick. Your Monterey Bay versus Orange County plus your lowest dose prediction. So I'll start with the Monterey Bay against Orange County prediction. And we were kind of discussing on the show that Monterey Bay has been uh, really impacting a lot of the playoff picture here. And especially now with their kind of games in hand, it could uh, very uh, quickly kind of turn the tide of who's in and out of the playoffs so i'll go with a, uh, a 
decent draw between Monterey Bay and Orange County. And then I'm going to lock my pick on OC beating Lostos in the weekend. All right. Kick it to you over, John. Yeah, I know we touched on Monterey Bay earlier. Uh, they're in very good form right now, but you could really say the same about what Orange County is doing. Really, the highlight of the weekend for me was getting an Alosky to Alosky uh, assist. Like, just having brothers do that was really kind of awesome for me. <laughs> but really, what Orange County do is doing right now is so based on the defensive system where when you think about that 2022 run or rather 2021 title run it was founded on the defense and they're really getting their identity wise i went with a draw in this game but there's just something in me that feels like if either of the team gets the full three points i think they might make a playoff run that said i have orange county locked for that la game the galaxy just dropped a three to one loss to hartford a really pretty ugly defensive performance at the end of it. I think OC just has the spirit to carry them to a win there. And this is where I have to be the bad guy. And it is, <laughs> I did take Monterey Bay. Um, for me, it's just the fact that that was in Monterey Bay. I, it, since it's in their stadium, I just, it seems to be a hard place to break down, especially when you're having to play them away. Um, we've seen so many good teams go out there and struggle. And I do put, you know, even though the results may say differently, I do think that Orange County is a good team. We've said this before. It feels like Orange County and uh, New York Red Bulls, too, could have a weird, uh, I guess, therapy session of doing really well for 80 minutes and then just, you know, after that not going so hot. Um, it feels like if Orange County doesn't get it early against Monterey Bay, which with their defense, it you know it's it's going to be hard for anybody. Um, that might be hard for that. Um, so I did take Monterey Bay um, with the lowest dose. Obviously, I took Orange County. Like you said, biggest crowd likely to be on hand there. Possibly, maybe even the biggest crowd that that stadium might see for the next you know calendar year. Um, even going into because uh, UC Davis is do they play there or is it UC Irvine? Uh, so I mean, college teams sometimes play there, but not regularly. Okay. So I mean, this is going to be the biggest game there in a long time with uh, with a well timed booth fest going on outside. Yeah, good luck, Los Dos. <laughs> I took. Uh, I'm taking Orange County and Los Dos coming into a buzzsaw. So, Excellent. but I think uh, I think that's going to be it for your segment of the show. Dan, do you have any uh, parting thoughts you have for the folks? So I think the first of all is uh, apologize to anyone who wasn't interested in the Orange County part because this is obviously most of the show now. Um, but genuinely, we're very appreciative of you and every other podcast or journalist who's decided that this story of big team versus little team and community being potentially evicted from their stadium is something that they want to spend time talking about it means a huge amount to us as a club it means a huge amount i know to our fans and i know obviously andy's 
listening to the show and him and his group have been fantastic. He was at the council meeting. I imagine he'll be there again next week when we ask fans to return to send a message. So I'm just grateful for everyone's support. It's a, uh, it's not nice to be talking about non-football stuff. I mean, even though the football stuff's not been brilliant this year, I'd rather talk about that than the non-football stuff, but that's where we are. But we're grateful to the three of you and, and to your listeners for the support that people have given Orange County Soccer Club. Always and, you know, anytime you are welcome back, just let us know. Um, hey, you know, if you... Uh, if you ever run out of people to talk to, if you know you get tired of talking to executives from Ted Lasso, hey, we're all here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm rocking the uh, glass of cheap bourbon tonight. So, <laughs> Fantastic. thank you very much. <laughs> so, thank you, uh, Dan, and we'll hop on with the rest of the predictions. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, so that was awesome, by the way. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> that was a ton of fun. Um, with the next few matches, we have a couple that I think might shock some people. We're going to start off with FC Tulsa versus Loose City. Let's burn through these boys. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this one, like... We were talking about this prior to the show, how just kind of interesting of a setup it has been. Louisville obviously got that uh, three to one win over a uh, Sacramento team who's admittedly preparing for a much bigger game happening tomorrow over the weekend. But they always, like we had uh, mentioned earlier, they have those like just kind of streaks where those losses tend to kind of just populate along side each other and even from last year there was a nil nil draw against Tulsa that kicked off a two loss uh losing streak for them and it could be a similarly kind of tough fixture here especially having to go on the road however I do think Louisville gets the result done John yeah I went Louisville as well I think Tulsa looked really leaky against Atlanta in that last game this Louisville team is just too sharp, and I think they're still on a bit of a motivated war path after that in 11 loss, so I have them winning this. Yeah, I'm kind of go with the walk-in 90 uh, prediction style sometimes. Sometimes you just kind of have to predict the vibe, and I took FC Tulsa, and I really have no good reason other than it's just the vibe. I don't know. That's just the way I felt. Um, next up, though, is for me, maybe – could be redemption arc, or maybe uh, Louisville continues their uh, run, hot run of form from you guys. It's Pittsburgh versus Lou City. It's always interesting how teams, if they have like a double match week, how they kind of approach both these games. And with Louisville having a lot, having already wrapped up that uh, playoff spot, I'll be curious, kind of like the mentality, how they kind of shift to, okay, do we continue to try and push to, get that guaranteed first round by and they do have a bit of breathing room already as a four point gap to Tampa Bay. And then you look at a Pittsburgh team who has been unbeaten in their last four, seeing a Memphis side who's kind of stumbled in front of them with uh, having gone winless in their last three, including two defeats there. I think this could be a potential for a Riverhounds upset. And if they can play a similar result to something that like Miami did against Louisville, that could really kind of, you know, Put a lot of pressure on Louisville to kind of maintain their spot atop the East. So I'll go with Pittsburgh in an upset win over Louisville City. 
I went a little bit contrary here. I think Louisville probably goes strong at the midweek, knowing that their top lineup will bank three points pretty easily. I think they'll rotate at the weekend against Pittsburgh, but that said, their rotated squad is still really good. And Pittsburgh, for whatever reason, just doesn't convince me week in and week out they can do it. So I went with the draw on this one. Listen, if there's anything that we know, we know that Robert Lilly will always pull it out, something out of nowhere, except for the last time that they played Louisville and he had one of the greatest temper tantrums we have ever seen caught on footage. John, please find the gif if you can sometime. <laughs> um, I, I took Louisville here. I did think that they are going to lose to FC Tulsa again. I don't know why. Um, I think that they would bounce back pretty heavily against Pittsburgh, especially considering how well they played them last time they played. And plus, anytime that I get an excuse to call him Robert and not Bob, which by the way, anytime that Pitt Pittsburgh loses or is not playing well, is Robert Ball, and I, no one's going to stop me. Um, I'm not going to lie, that caught me when you said it, and I like to do a double take. <laughs> Next up, we have San Antonio versus San Diego. A big, big matchup. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, just backing San Antonio to win this one. They've been the first team in the Western Conference to clinch a playoff spot. And with an eight-point gap over San Diego, as well as San Antonio having a match in hand, I think they just uh, get the job done, extend the uh, gap atop the Western Conference, and move ever closer to wrapping up the shield in a few weeks. Yeah, contrary to you, I went with San Diego here. I'm really sold on that three-goal performance that the Loyal put in in their last matchup in uh, this fixture. They just feel like a team that knows how to beat uh, San Antonio by getting out on the front foot, getting that early goal, and... I'll probably be proven wrong when San Antonio puts in a masterclass of a defensive performance, but I think that San Diego really has been looking forward to this and maybe been less focused in the last couple games. So I have them getting the win. I went with San Antonio here. It's hard to see San Antonio losing at home. And I know guys like, um, you know, Allen have said, that, hey, hold your horses on saying that San Antonio is the better team after their performance that they – or San Diego is the better team after they beat them before just because they haven't done it away from home yet. And it's so hard for me to see just about anybody going to San Antonio, unless it's Indy, I guess, to come out there with a win. Um, weird. What a weird league. Um, speaking of weird league, we have honestly the matchup that I'm looking forward to you know, this is a loaded week, by the way, in the championship with Los Dos and Orange County with Pitt and Lou with uh, San Antonio versus San Diego. And we have El, you know, El Dramatico, whatever you want to call it. We got Phoenix versus Oakland. Ooh, that's spicy. And even just kind of looking around, like, at even outside the off-field drama between both these teams, I can't help but just look ahead for these two teams' fixtures and think the loser of this game has possibly taken themselves out of the playoff picture for the time being. And if you look ahead to kind of Oakland Root's schedule, though they have uh, the Baby Bulls, 
In fact, both Phoenix and the, uh, Oakland have the baby bulls left on their schedule. You still have Oakland who has to travel to Colorado Springs. They have to host a good Legion team and they finish the season at Pittsburgh. And if they drop points in this match, it could very well see them fall a little bit further outside of that playoff picture. And I think that's enough motivation for both teams to really want to get up for that type of game and try and keep their season alive. Despite all of that, though, that always kind of breeds a very disappointing atmosphere at the outcome, and it's going to end up being a draw. I went with the rising in this one. I struggled because Phoenix really went with the classic Oakland formation in the last game that they played, and they looked terrible doing it, so Oakland would outplay them in that context. But if anyone knows how to address this fixture, it's Juan Guerra. So I think that he's just going to figure it out. And I think this is a more talented Phoenix squad at the end of it. I'm taking the pissed off Oakland roots. And like we've talked about it so many times now that you take the bet on the team that just fired or moved or got rid of their coach. Well, what about with the first time they play that team again? I mean, the coach has something to prove, and that's great, but we've seen Phoenix's players be disinterested by everything this year, so who knows if they'll get up for a brand-new coach that just got transferred in for reasons. Um, meanwhile, Oakland, they got a lot to prove on this one. They want to stick it to their coach that went talking behind their back. Are you kidding me? Yeah, we're locking this one, babe. This one's going to be an Oakland Ruth <laughs> win. Next up, we have Detroit City versus Colorado Springs. To give Detroit credit, they have played fairly well on the road. You have to go all the way back to August 6th to find the last time they had a defeat away from home, and that was a 1-0 loss to Tampa Bay. Since that time, they had the 2-1 uh, against Birmingham and a 3-0 victory over Charleston. But there's just been something about Colorado Springs during this kind of home stand. They have... Now, three consecutive wins at home, all by a score of 1-0. And you have to just go all the way back to July 4th against San Diego to find the last time they lost at home. I'm picking the switchbacks in this one. Yeah, switchbacks as well. They've kept a clean sheet in three straight games after their um, defensive issues. <laughs> Detroit is a team that lacks offensively. I just don't see this coming out for City, so that it means switchbacks for me. This, unless I've missed something along the way, this is their first time that they have ever played at altitude. Now, I know they have some players that have done it before, but as a club, this is the first time they have ever gone into the mountains and had to do it. And unless you've been around to like New Mexico or you've been up to northern Colorado or, you know, to Colorado Springs, there's no preparing you until you do it. Um, I think that alone is going to gas the attack of Detroit City pretty quickly. And, I mean, San Antonio, San Antonio, wow. Colorado Springs can just attack for years if they wanted. Yeah, I'm taking Colorado Springs here. Can I they do, do it on a summer night in Widener? <laughs> it's not summer anymore. It's Labor Day is gone. It's officially fall. We've officially moved past it, I think. I think that's how it works. Forget what the calendar tells you. <laughs> Next up, we have, you know, 
we've said it before the opposite way, but you know, an unstoppable force meets an unmovable option. And it is the home Richmond kickers versus the away uh, South Georgia Tormenta. After a few weeks, the uh, top of the USL one has then changed to uh, Union Omaha. Now it's been a very slow methodical kind of move up. And I think that's something that kind of really motivates the Richmond kickers here. They've lost their top spot and with two points off the lead, they need to get a win this week to kind of just keep themselves kind of in the hunt for those top two spots. Cause out of these three teams, one of them's going to get left out. Richmond is going to be motivated for a victory here. Yeah. Richmond for me as well. They've been off since the 27th. So, you know, they're going to be well prepared for this game. I think they're up there with the top teams in league one. I just think they get the three points here. Look, like I said, you have, you know, home Richmond and they're always good, but away Tormenta is just a different beast. Um, I think I saw walking 90 make a joke about how if Tormenta isn't careful, they might accidentally play themselves into a home playoff game, which may not be what would be best for them. So I took Tormenta here. It feels like they might be getting it on track, which means they definitely won't get it on track because League One confuses me. Um, next up, we have uh, Charlotte versus Greenville Triumph, who, if you remember all the way back last time they played, Charlotte invaded uh, Greenville, South Carolina. So I'm sure the Triumph fans are looking to return the favor with sending at least five people. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going with uh, Greenville on this one. Charlotte uh, just kind of finds themselves out of form here with four consecutive games without a win. And it just it seems like Greenville will continue to try and uh, just stay around the top three, so triumph to win. Man, that feels spicy. Greenville is just out of form right now. They're a team that is so built on what they do defensively, and they gave up two goals again this weekend. I think they're getting there, but I think this ends up as a draw for them. Yeah, this seems to be kind of, especially these last two years, Greenville seems to do this where they slip up and they just go on a rough stretch of form. Um, I I don't really think that continues against, against Charlotte, but then again, I really think thought they were going to get that win against Ford Madison, but I'm going to take Greenville in this one. And in the very last one, the ones that played spoiler out in Greenville, South Carolina, it is Ford Madison versus the sad boy of Chattanooga. You have to go all the way back to uh, July 23rd to find the last game that uh, Chattanooga was shut out. And, but uh, Ford Madison is also the team that has the most draws of any team in uh, League One with Omaha in second with 10. I think this is going to be a draw, but a scoring draw that has um, uh, both teams finding back the net. I think there's a tendency with the Red Wolves to focus on like a Mensingen, other players like that. Espinoza in that side is so key to what they do offensively. I'm really confident in them getting the results, and I think they get the three points here. So I'm going with the sad boys. You know, I just now thought about this. When you mentioned the draws, for some reason it all just kind of clicked for me. 
Ford Madison is my Oakland roots of I don't know if they're good or not because they keep drawing every match. Like, I, I don't know. Like, are they good? Yes, some days. Some days they're bad. Some days they're right in the middle. Actually, that's most days. They are just as good as everybody else. But that only gets you one point. Um, but I do think that they are going to get a win here. I think going back to Madison, Wisconsin, I think they're going to get all three points against the sad boys of Chattanooga. But listen, y'all, thank you hey, for everybody who listened to all that. If you're not an Orange County fan, thank you for listening to all that. This is really this was a really interesting episode for even if you're not an Orange County fan, if you just want to know about the inner workings of the USL, I think it was a cool one. But unless you guys have anything else, is that it for the is that it for the night? Real quick, just want to throw in a word about the Open Cup final. Uh, we had some word tonight that Orlando City was illegally scouting Sacramento practices, which is just insane. I'm going to have a lot about what Sacramento has done over their run and why they might win this game tomorrow uh, on the feed. Interesting coverage of the game as we get into the run-up for it. But this is an important game for the USL championship. I think if you get Sacramento upsetting four MLS teams in this run and qualifying for the CONCACAF Champions League, that's utterly massive. What Sacramento has done across their run is impressive, no matter how you slice it. And I think it's just a proud moment for lower league soccer across the board. Yeah, well, pretty much all of us out here uh, will be rooting for Sacramento across uh, just lower division soccer as a way to uh, just benefit the league entirely and as another way to just kind of stick it to MLS. Um, I, you know, whenever – I think I've read something about uh, – from like Tillman about this, and I think something along the lines – someone asked uh, Oscar uh, Pajera about that uh, Orlando's coach. And something along the way, uh, I think he said something along to uh, along the lines of "We're looking ahead to Philadelphia." I think uh, I think that was the quote about spying. I don't know, I, I don't remember. Um, but yeah, no, this is a <laughs> this is a massive massive game, y'all. And you know, I would I thought about putting it in predictions, but genuinely, I think that Sacramento is going to win. I. I know it's at home in Orlando, but I don't know if you're Orlando, right? Which is more important, getting a win or here, or is it beating a Philadelphia who is sitting at the top of the table, which would mean more? I don't know. It's because Orlando's not guaranteed a spot in the playoffs yet. They are right in the scraps of it. Which one are they going to prioritize? I don't know. It's going to be a really exciting one. I'm a little bit, unless I missed it, I'm a little bit mad that it's only going to be on ESPN Plus, though. Yeah, that's exactly right. Ridiculous. This, this game should be nationally televised. This is fundamentally like the championship of open soccer, the whole pyramid in this entire setup in America. And so to resign it to this paid for platform, Form just rings I mean, the wrong way for me. But uh, to pivot back to the pitch real quick, Kaylor, like you spoke to, Orlando is vulnerable. Their eyes are going to be on the MLS playoff race. 
they're a team that has a lot of weaknesses in what they do defensively. They're very one note in what they do in attack. I agree with you that I think Sacramento has a real chance to pull this off. This is this is a this is before we uh, end the night. If if Aro Lopez scores and they win, and Sacramento wins, does that secure the MVP? So when I've written about the MVP race, I sort of feel like I have to discount what happens in the Open Cup. But that would be such an undeniable moment for the league, for the player. This is Roro's third stint with Sacramento. He was there from the beginning of this club. I kind of think it might seal the deal for him, provided that Sacramento keeps like a home playoff spot, let's say. But man, that would be a big, big deal. Yeah, I mean, what do you think, Ryan? Would uh, would a a possible game winning goal or just scoring or getting a good assist in in winning this match? Do you think that'd be enough to secure an MVP? It certainly would be enough to put them in the conversation. But with um, it, obviously, has to kind of go back to what they've done within the league here but it would be enough to put them kind of within a deserving conversation point for it no doubt all right so uh that seems to be about it um john what are some final thoughts you got for the people i mean if you follow me on twitter you know the deal i'm very excited for what's coming next with rings of power i was a big big fan of the first two episodes i've watched them multiple times it lets me activate that kind of fandom nerd side of me. So getting away from the soccer here, but I'm just very excited for that. I still need to watch the, uh, the second episode of um, rings right. of power, but um, house of the dragon's been quite good. So I'd still uh, would recommend at least going into uh, continuing to watch uh, that show. Beautiful. Um, I've been doing music. I think this week um, I would say give Dvorak eight a shot, not number nine. That's that's New World. Uh, that's one I've done before. Dvorak eight. That's it's not the most played one, but it's awesome, absolutely incredible. And as always, people love yourself. Take time for yourself. It's okay. Promise. Even though we don't have a long weekend coming up, treat yourself over this weekend. Um, but yeah. Even though he was not with us because he decided to be on a plane, you know, whatever. I think we all deserve to hear a little bit of Alan tonight. So even though he's not with us, he is with us in spirit. See you guys in next week. Thank you for watching another episode of the USL show. This and every episode is brought to you by the beautiful game network. Find podcasts and other written work at BGN.FM. Once again, thanks for stopping by. We'll see you guys again next week.